welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today on you. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is your girl, Diamond. I am really, really excited about this episode. Um, it's very rare that, you know, we bring cishet men into the space. Um, like white people, we don't really give too many invitations out, <laughs> if, if at all. But um, if I bring somebody on, it is because I respect the work that they do. So I wanted to introduce all of you all to Feek the Signifier from YouTube. I wanna, I, I, I'm so excited about this because I've been watching you probably for about six months. And, but in the past two months, I was like, oh, I really um, would love to bring him on. Probably a little bit over that. As soon as your Dave Chappelle video, as soon as I found that, probably that was like- That like, was Halloween. Yeah, Halloween time. So I think I found it probably like early November. And so ever since then, I was like, God, this stuff is good. Let me let me get him on here. <laughs> so he is a content creator that does video essays on black movies and black media and you know anything kind of going on in the culture sphere um, from a cishet black male point of view. And like I said, uh, you know, sometimes them points of views be whack, but him, he does a really, really good job in not being so whack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. So, so Feek, thank you for joining us. And yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I respect that I'm that I'm a guest in this space. I talk about that a lot, especially since I have a, a large white audience that I didn't like purposely cultivate. So like I can imagine, you know, and it's it's weird managing like the the these outside interlopers that you you know you you love you appreciate but it's also like i need you to behave while you're here so i'm <laughs> right. going to try to like and i'm just going to try to practice what i preach uh, while i'm here perfect 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 so tell me some of your history what who was who was loving you and raising you and creating who you are today um what kind of led you here growing up when it comes to your politics what like wh who's your sibling who's your mama what she do all that kind of stuff Ooh, i got some good shit for you. i got some good shit. all right so <laughs> um i am originally from chicago my mother and father both converted to islam back in the 70s my mother um i'm not gonna say my mother was a black panther because she was a little too young but she was in the streets a little bit along with my uh, one of my Move, aunts, my girl. Passed, God rest her soul. And then my father, you know, by as a product also kind of was in the streets a little bit, uh, but they both, you know, as the Black Panthers were dismantled, they kind of got out of that and went more straight path. Um, and so I have a background and an upbringing that by today's standard would be considered being a hotel. And so, What's interesting about that is that while so many people come to that 
experience and knowledge later in life because I had it as a kid, my perspective on it growing up, seeing other people come into it was real different, which for lack of a better way of putting it, a lot made me kind of distance myself from it by the time I was coming out of college. Um, I was like, yeah, y'all, y'all niggas crazy. Um, and there's too much wild shit going on. So I kind of left that alone, but it informed, you know, a lot of my politics in terms of like, you know, the needs of black, uh, black issues. Right. Um, now before you continue to the, to the people who are listening that may not know what Hotep is, mm. um, can explain that to them. Cause you so know, I'm a, I, they I'm know a, what, I'm remove what I the mean, pejorative Hotep and I'm gonna say pan African, which is what we called it back then. And so that was, that's really complex. But for me, it was basically a cultural aesthetic that sought to purposefully reject European and Caucasian standards of living and morality and commerce and how you raise your kids and things like that and replace them with basically an amalgamation, a mix of African and Afrocentric teachings. So something as simple as the names of all my, my brothers and sisters and my, and my cousins and my children, you know, there's no European names at, on, on a portion of my family. Most of my family, in fact, uh, you know, we went to like African festivals all the time. Uh, my, my, my mom and a lot of my aunts did African dance. My uncles played the drums. So it was, it was mostly cultural aesthetic, you know, the types of, things we wanted, we wanted to remove the persistent like stigma of being black by immersing us into African traditions that we could feel good about. Right. And, you know, and, but at the same time, there's a lot of other stuff I didn't notice as a kid that didn't start becoming more apparent as until I got older. Um, because a lot of it was still, the irony is that we're still rooted in this Euro, you know, white supremacist patriarchal um, framework where the men had to be in charge, women were expected to X, Y, and Z. And it's like, if you really know your African history, Africa was a huge continent with a lot of cultural whatevers, but for whatever reason, these people, and this is not everywhere in Pan-African and Hotep circles, but like the ones that we know about, they're all kind of talking that same shit. Um, so I went to HBCU as well. Um, and you know, that was an immersion experience. I came out of there and got into education after some, uh, some quick dabbles in entertainment and media, which I'll, I'll maybe tell some of those stories later. Um, and education is where I found my calling as a, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to call it, uh, an educator, obviously, but just being about mostly young people and about helping people. Um, and that, you know, forced me to like examine my politics and examine my views in a lot of ways. Um, and it also built certain skills like talking on a camera and, you know, planning out a lesson, uh, you know, or a, a message. Uh, I and I went from teaching to working with uh, an anti-sex trafficking agency. And then from there to working in public health. And then during the pandemic, I had been wanting to like, you know, uh, do media stuff. I've written all kinds of shitty short stories and books. Um, I was on a podcast once upon a time. 
Um, and, you know, I was like, I really want to return to just doing something creative. And then I just said, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna finally make this video. And I made a video about Hamilton. And I was like, this was really fun. I kept doing it. And about a year later now, some point time later, almost two years later, I don't know. Now I'm here. Now I'm a full-time YouTuber. Mm. So you said there started to be a shift against that kind of ideology. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we both from the Midwest. And I know growing up that there, you know, Nation of Islam, um, Pan-Africanism, when I was in those spaces, there there was a, you know what I'm saying? I, I grew up in the Kojic church. And so there was a level of respectability politics that was happening as I grew up. But I also had an aunt who was in a nation of Islam. And then I was in this troupe called the um, the Sanchi Children Theater in Indianapolis, and they were led by Pan-Africans. And mm -hmm. so I had all it just felt like when I would be in spaces with people in 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 the Muslim community and in the Pan-African community that it just, it did feel like, oh, they own some new shit. They own some, not that it was new, but to me in my mind growing up in the culture church, it, it felt like something new, like that it, it was a wokeness. There was a certain level of um, anti, uh, white, definitely white supremacy, but um, like a, a decolonization. Yeah, of it was. You gonna get the Kwanzaa auntie. You gonna get the. <laughs> you gonna get all of you those hotel uncle. new lessons. And so when I, as I got older and I became more queer, that's when. And I, so when because of that, I kind of gravitated towards them because it mm -hmm. felt like, oh, these people are more um into me but what i didn't realize is they were into me because they were assuming that i was going to grow up to be a black cishet male right and so because of that and because of the patriarchy in those groups i was being privileged and positioned to be in a you know getting the lessons or we're gonna get you some suits we're gonna get we're gonna do all of these right. things that put you in power let you speak let you do all of these things that you know i didn't have the um feminist analysis that i did to even pay attention to what they were doing yeah. um to the girls until later but when i got you know when i when i was about to transition right before i was about to transition i started to see um i didn't have the language for it um that, but i knew it was something weird that was happening and then once my queerness um started to started to flourish then it was like ooh, i yeah. started to get a pushback from them so i was already getting pushed from the the kojic church but um i started to get a pushback from them like ooh, you know that's not the way you you go that's not the way you're supposed to be so for me it was uh i could even once my queerness started to um blossom it you know and be something a priority to me i really noticed the difference in how oh y'all are just pro-black y'all are not pro-women y'all are not pro-queer it was like y'all are exactly like white people except for just black that's literally all the difference is and yeah, yeah. i didn't know the history but that's i remember of knowing specifically when i was probably around 12 right before i transitioned where i was like oh this is literally just white supremacy in blackface yeah 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 it's 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 rough too because 
Because you appreciate why, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's rough because you you I remember so I have so many good memories, right? And I have to recontextualize them via I have to recontextualize them as an adult. It's like, you know, find out Santa Claus isn't real or some shit. Um and you know, you don't want to uh I, I have a I, I tend to lead with empathy. And so I recognize I had uncles and my dad in particular that were they they got a different type of beating from white supremacy than 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 I did growing up than most of us did, and so in their mind to like recreate this clear patriarchal framework built on the same white supremacist uh, ideologies of exclusion and dominance, it was a way for them to reclaim power when they had felt so disempowered, especially as men. Um. And so like you, you, I, I, it's, I want so bad, like so much of my content and it's been rough because I've gotten a lot of pushback from other cishet black men. I, I have a whole, you know, well now I'm, I'm, I'm done with the beef, but like I had a whole beef brewing with like the black male studies crew. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I am because, not. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard to explain. They, they almost sound like intersectional scholars, but it has a clear undercurrent of centering black cis hetero men and just a pension misogynoir in terms of how they come across on Twitter. And when I called that out, you know, people didn't like me anymore. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so it's rough because I want so because I had to have I was I'm lucky. I had a handful of experiences in a certain disposition that made it relatively possible for me to decolonize my own where I show up as a man. What are those elements? Go deep, unpack that. What are those elements that allowed that? First, I just never, even as a, a boy, I've never, I never caught on with the, the, the hyper-masculine performance element. I embodied it to an extent. I was a larger guy, you know, um, I had a deep voice, you know what I'm saying? I, I, had, I had the features, but like the, you know, the energy that you're supposed to perform as a, as a boy, you begin social, you get, you start getting socialized into, into masculinity, a specifically a patriarchal performance of masculinity by the time you're three, right? And so probably one of the first moments where I was like, this shit don't make sense was I had an older female cousin that would fight me and she was bigger than me and she would hit me with all her strength and I would cry and I would go to my aunts and say, hey, stop such and such from hitting me. She's hurting me. And they'll be like, you can't be crying. You a boy, man up. And I'd be like, fuck, no, <laughs> she's hitting me. <laughs> Tell her to stop. You know what I'm saying? And so like, it's like, like I, I just had, I had a moment there where I caught the unfairness of that framework just as a kid. Now, the difference is a lot of boys that get that and they create bitterness from it, which I also did, which I also did if I'm if I'm being real. So at several intervals, when it was time to like perform masculinity, if I can reveal something personal, I, I recall being in a fraternity and, you know, having opportunities for certain sexual activities and being like, yeah, that's not. That's not me. You know what I'm saying? This I, I'm not interested in that type of, you know, lifestyle, that type of movement. 
uh, et cetera. And there's a othering that happens when you do that as a, as a, as a heterosexual man, um, because most men are not masculinity is performance. And most men are performing masculinity, not off of just an instinctual desire to do the thing, but off the need to feel like I'm belonging or performing the framework properly, if that makes sense. Yes. And in that way, it becomes very coercive. Because and, and there's social capital that comes with that performance, especially right. when it's to peak level. Exactly. This, this, exactly. So. I, so that has always been a part for me. Um, and then when I started uh, teaching was really where I had a couple of experiences with um, with, uh, you know, young queer boys where I was like. This is like the shit we're doing here is wrong. This is all fucked up. And I had to sit and really like think through how these fucked up things were happening to be to be like blunt. Well, not to be blunt, but to kind of not get too deep into it. We were allowing the mistreatment of gay teenage boys in my school because essentially because they were gay and they deserved it. Now, wait, wait, wait. I, you don't have to go into details about the school because but, but the reason why I want you to go in detail how that systematically was happening in the school is because mm -hmm. we are currently under an attack when it comes to trans people in school systems and mm -hmm. queer people uh, are, you know, are kind of along for the ride <laughs> in the sense right. there's things that are happening. How from your perspective as a teacher, how was those things structurally happening where we are allowed to kind of fuck, fuck them over basically things that should have triggered explicit responses from an institution red flags about a kid's behavior or a kids living situation or things that parents are saying or the absence of parents things that were clear red flags for these boys where if they were not if they were girls or straight boys would have been call the def call defects call a counselor do this do that and see about it not even just like just see about it do your due diligence we're, we're supposed to be uh what's the word De uh something reporters where you have to automatically report if you see something say something but basically and so when it was like things are happening with some of these boys it's like that don't sound right that don't look right what's going on it was jokes it was jokes it was, ooh, that's that's that that's what they be doing. You know what I'm saying? It was it was stuff like that. And I'm also in the South at this point in time. I can I can say this. I had one little boy disappear. Um, he was he was, uh, he disappeared for like two months. I hear nothing. Like a kid disappears, you you fill up you know a little report. There's some meetings. There's some emails. Whatever. This boy disappeared. And not a single thing was was triggered about his disappearance. He came back and, you know, was in a whole different style and vibe. I was fearful about what he had been exposed to during this time away from school. And like it was like nothing. Um, conversations about pronouns. Um, my last year teaching in two, and this is 2000. So like this is over the course of like 10 years. But like in 2015 um, and by now. So one another big thing is, is grad school and getting into sociology in reading black feminist texts and sociological texts and gender theories and things like that. 
Um, and I just remember just a conversation about pronouns and, and chosen names for, you know, trans and, and queer youth in the last school I was in. It's like we had a little, little small meeting, like, hey, the new rules, these are rules now that come down from the school. So I'm like, oh, wow, they really doing something. Call the kid by their chosen, you know, uh, pronoun. And by you their give chosen me a time name. period. This is 2015. OK. And I'm just like thrown at the desire to maintain dominance on our own children. I'm calling them whatever's on the roster. You know what I'm saying? I'm calling what their mama told them. And that's what broke my heart the most. It was that it like is that it was little boys and girls from our communities. And we are literally the caretakers. We're the teachers. But for some people, these hegemonic ideologies of what's appropriate and what's right and all this other, I don't, I don't agree with that lifestyle. Gave people, it was, was enough to give people carte blanche to cause harm without, you know, with impunity. And so that, and that among a lot of other things forced me to engage close, more closely with how I showed up. Cause I can, you know, feel good about myself that I was never like the, the, the rabbit homophobe that, you know what I'm saying? That you might see in a, a made for TV movie. You know how they do when they want to deal with a systemic issue, they give you a really obvious example. Like look how racist and homophobic this person is. But the reality is the real shit is much more subtle and much more insidious. And that's what most people are doing. And I was doing that. And so I had to kind of, and I'm still dismantling that. Like I'm not done. I'm not having fixed it. I'm just trying to be knowledgeable and have forethought about how I move. Because of the power dynamic, I remember I did, recently people have been asking, like, when was your first um, black male teacher? When I was in the scenario in high school and I had my first black male teacher, Mr. Tyler, <laughs> my math teacher. And when I was in the scenario, because of the power dynamic, I didn't feel like I could do anything. But he was literally the maybe like out of all my teachers, he probably was like three there was three of them that were like, yeah, they would join in on the students mm. bullying me. Mm. <laughs> if I come in the room and I'm dressed in a queer way, he's going to say something. If, mm. if, if, if the student doesn't say something, he's going to say something. It's going to be something you coming in here with all that faggot shit and, um, or, um, He'll say or he'll say that something that's not as direct, like he'll he's called me a faggot, definitely. But or he'll say something um, like um, you coming in here um, looking, you know, all sugar fried. That's what he, that was his because he was country. He was very saying that, that was shit his like cold that. word. <laughs> yeah. And so but it literally would signal to the students that, oh, this is cool here. Where in other classes, like my white, you know, my white feminist wo woman teachers who, you know, clearly <laughs> they, they're just they're doing their what they think is doing right their best. They're white feminist women. When you come in their class, you know, and they get to wear me out. The, the white teachers, y'all getting up out of here. <laughs> y'all not going to do that in here. Um, you get what I'm saying? It was just something about um, about him that was so like. You fucking asshole. But yeah. I couldn't think of when I was I can look at that now. But when I was younger, 
I just felt like powerless. I felt like I couldn't do anything about here. First of all, you control my grade. You right. control whether or not if I'm late for class, are you going to send me to detention? Are you going to let me, uh, you know, stay in the class? Are you, um, you know, how are you going to grade something that I put out? And it, luckily he was math. So numbers is kind of, you know, mm. when it'd be different if it was English, because I could write something and you kind of judge it more harshly. But math was kind of straightforward. So I was able to pass his class. But it still was. I hated going to that motherfucker because he was yeah. along with the students that was being an asshole. Yeah. And there's no protection for you, uh, especially in the 90s. Yeah. Now I'm sure there's a lot more protection, but it, it's probably still plenty that can be gotten away with. So the systems aren't built to work anyway. Right. Like if you're just keeping it real. But it's also just wild how they're like most of the dysfunction has like four layers of complexity. And then there's just straight up blatant shit like we don't give a fuck. <laughs> We're not gonna do it. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and that's and that was and that's you know why I kind of moved away from teaching and I got into anti-sex trafficking. And then it was like I, I had to start realize how much sex trafficking was going on with uh boys, with teenage boys, survival sex, you know what I'm saying? Um, and you know, we had a a a, a young, I, you know, I don't know what their actual gender identity was at the time or now. So I'm just going to just go with they, but like they were a big problem for the court and the organization I was in because they did not align with and engage effectively with the boys, the, the you know, the young men's programs at the court, but they also didn't fit into the, 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 the programs that we had in our organization. Um, and it, it it did seem like people were like, eh, you know of what I'm course. saying? There wasn't a lot of urgency to figure that out for, for that person. We did have some, thankfully, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm in, I was in Atlanta, I'm in Atlanta. So we had a decent amount of, you know, black queer oriented support organizations that started to get involved and not long after that, I was gone. But yeah, that's kind of the thing. And, and so a lot of my work, is focused on cis hetero black men and and part of that is finding ways to reveal how harmful this system is to us and in doing that i have to engage with a lot of the things we do to y'all yeah. you know what i'm saying and like you know act you know talking to men like what what are you getting out of this framework of dominance that you are trying to hold over this you know, queer person or this woman or this black woman, this tra black trans woman, et cetera, and trying to unpack that. But the shit is hard. <laughs> yeah. But that's one thing that I love about the content that you do is that you call them out on their bullshit and, you know, and your tent always seems to, you know, make them better. You don't you you get what I'm saying you don't validate some of the, you know, dumb shit like the, you know, I'm talking about. QAnon level foolishness at the shit that they be having sometimes, but then you will explain some ideas that y'all have that may be rooted in some truth from y'all perspective. And right. so, and I, I really enjoy that balance. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, 
I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. <laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. As somebody who has, you know, male experience, not on no turf shit, but I have, you because I was born assigned male at birth, I was being raised by the people around me who didn't know that I was going to be trans. I was being raised to be a cishet male. And so there are some things that I remember that when looking back, I'm like, mm, I, I remember this. I remember this difficulty in navigating a space where I'm not this kind of person, but I see that this is where you want me to be. And before mm-hmm. I had the courage to stand in my own two feet and say, oh, well, actually, I'm doing my own fucking thing. Before mm-hmm. I had that kind of courage, which you don't always have as a preteen or a teenager, da 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 or the power to actually do it or whatever situation that you're in. And so sometimes you are pressured into performing this masculinity in a certain particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to, that leads me to the conversation about one of your videos, um, about Kanye West. And I want you to kind of explain that um however whatever whatever comes to mind. One of the one of the key points that you were talking about is how he represents a shift in coming from the 90s where there was this particular type of aggressive um you know, celebrating and uplifting of a certain type of black male image, that kind of thug, that kind of gangster, that kind of heartless, that, that kind of, you know, capitalistic bling, bling cars, drugs, women, sell drugs to whoever and kill whoever, because we trying to come out of the system. The white man got us down, but we, we literally, it's okay for you to just say, fuck everybody in your community and kind of, you know, do what you need to do. And there was this thing that that was the norm. You couldn't even be successful if you weren't. Now, of course, we had different people like Most Dev and Common and and other people who were kind of conscious rappers, but they didn't get to that peak unless they were in, you know, in that kind of gangster mode. Unless they had the DMX mode. Exactly. There was none of this fucking black boy joy shit that's happening that, you know, that kind of Kid Cudi and, um, um, uh, um, chance the rapper or whatever, but Kanye kind of represented this shift that he was a different type of dude, and you weren't expecting him to be um this kind of popular dude. But then mm-hmm. something happened. He he, some something happened. So tell me about your analysis of um Kanye West's rise and how that shift happened, and how we how that is informing what how we see um black male culture today. 
I could have made that video six hours long to get into all the preamble details. So I'm gonna do it all here. No, I'm not. Gonna do it. <laughs> uh, there's a capitalist incentive to commodify black masculinity for everyone. Because what people realize, probably coming out of rock and roll with Muddy Waters in them, is that something about black masculinity within this patriarchal framework, people fucking love it. They want to look like it. They want to fuck it. They want to kill it. You know what I'm saying? They want all parts of it. They want to see it dance. They want to see it bounce a ball. And so um, hip hop gave it a, a, a new flavor. We want to see it be dangerous. We want to see it in its unbridled rage of of against their own condition, right? And once capital, you know, once these capitalist entities realized that that was like going to be a a hot market, they was like, "All right, that's what everybody doing. All of y'all, all of y'all is NWA. Every single last one of y'all motherfuckers. And even NWA wasn't NWA. Is the funny thing that people don't even know. Um." And so that was like the late 80s until Kanye, essentially. Now, like I said, you have these other figures that were dabbled in and they made good music, but they could never be the true commercial juggernauts if they weren't didn't have that hard, you know, rough exterior. Kanye gets here. Kanye is a genius. You know what I'm saying? And two, two things to be true at once. As I, as I gush over Kanye, I want to make sure everybody listening or watching I am not condoning about a different Kanye. <laughs> I'm talking about a different Kanye. I'm not condoning his current state and all the things that brought him to that point. But in 2002, when you could love Kanye unconditionally, the nigga was a genius and couldn't nobody tell him nothing. Like literally one of his songs. And so, but the industry wasn't ready to make that type of shift. They weren't ready to pull away this super hardcore veneer and see a black man as more than just that caricature. Basically, Kanye just was so excellent and showed that, look, there are all these other aspects to black male humanity that are just as commodifiable, which is the truth of the matter, um, but are also beautiful and were needed for, you know, boys like me and a lot of the men I knew. You know, niggas was in college still trying to act like they was in the streets. It's like, no, nigga, we're in college. Let that shit go. <laughs> but niggas didn't want to because that's what they felt society wanted from them. And that's what the girls liked. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, niggas performed that. And then as Kanye came and like shifted the frame and dudes realized that girls would like you if you had on a dope outfit, too, or, or you know, knew some art, you know, so it just switched things up so that black men can start seeing themselves a little bit differently. And even then, there was an immediate backlash from a, from a more conservative black masculine, you know, culture and hierarchy that did not like Kanye, that accused Kanye being gay, as they do any dude that doesn't perfectly fit into uh, masculine frameworks. Um, there was a clear resistance and, and from women, there was a clear resistance to what he was doing. But the end result was this paradigm shift. Now, sadly, the rest of the story, right? And and now Kanye's circling back into this weird conservative fugue state that doesn't make sense every other week. Like he's he's normal Kanye on Tuesday and this new Kanye on Friday. But because of that, for men like me who were there in the moment, 
for men like me who literally put away their bubble goose and bought a pico <laughs> from we from from 2000 like all the bubble gooses that died in 2002 and became peacoats in 2003 salute because that was kanye you know what i'm saying and yeah here we are yeah he had a different i if i just think musically you unless you fuck with music like that you might not know but i feel like kanye did to hip-hop what um atlantis morissette did to female rockers female led rock and led rock alternative bands which was right. a boys club it Alanis Morissette did that then further down in the 90s what Erica Badu there was a particular aesthetic to black female R&B people mm -hmm. that was sexy that was kind of like Aaliyah that was kind of right. like um you know the just Tony sexy. Braxton Tony Braxton da 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 Erica came with a whole different swag a whole different sound that was oh this is another way that we can do this and it shifted how black girls were seen how black mm -hmm. girls um could able to to be <laughs> and still right. be in, in in the in crowd when it comes to our community i feel like kanye west did that did, did that same thing in hip-hop when i when i think about all the shifts because i'm musically eclectic so i see these shifts in these in these particular groups and so that's what I think that he did. And so yeah. it's interesting that you that you pointed that out because for me, seeing that kind of shift was like, oh, something is happening. And because I'm not in cishet black male circles, I I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but something is happening. I'm I'm seeing him. I'm seeing Kanye talk about like there was this interview where he was talking about like pushing up. Uh, why y'all calling people gay like specifically language about um this type of shit that y'all got going on like that's yeah. how does that make me gay and and where he was pushing back he just was a different th that kind of this is oh three yeah right? this is it's not safe for him to do that no you know what i'm saying especially as kanye who is already you know sus as the niggas would say then and now you know right. what i'm saying for him to be that was the sway this in the video he did an interview with Sway, and I remember watching that and being scared for him in a weird way. You know what I'm saying? Because it was so transgressive um, at the time, and he wasn't saying nothing special, right? Like he wasn't. Right. He wasn't. He was. He, he, he didn't call no bell hooks. He was just right. like. <laughs> he was just like, "Yo, that shit's not nice. Stop doing that." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And but that, that still is was, bigger. We they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even be in rooms with queer people and say other than, you know, fashion. They couldn't do it publicly on camera. Right. <laughs> they, right. they couldn't, couldn't show that. respect. They couldn't show love. Yeah. You know, it's wild. So one thing I've been thinking about um, is the idea I've been ruminating in that I, I'm, I don't know what it's going to manifest into. But like a big thing that has occurred to me is but it's basically like feeling like the person you are is it making sense for how the world is regarding you? Okay. Right? That works well enough, I think. And I think a lot of black men deal with that and don't realize, don't realize it because the world has us pegged at three. You a black boy at three years old, you are these things and these things only. You have to fight in 
edge at every angle to get away from that position. But like I was doing a presentation in front of a group of people and I'm just talking. I'm just like, yeah, okay, this is this and this is this and this is this. And like after the presentation, people were like, you were really aggressive. You were really this, you were really that. And I was like, really? And I was like, why, why was that what y'all got? Why didn't y'all just listen to me talk about the thing? And like, it's, but it's so normalized code switching you talked about, you know what I'm saying? I think it's something a lot of black people deal with, but I think black men haven't internalized what that means for us and how we see ourselves in a weird way to like consistently go through. Um, we talk about it in coded language. I was listening to Kendrick's, he had a, um, on the last album, I Feel. That song is about this feeling of being constantly pushed away from your normative sense of self as a black man and how that persistently puts you in like a state of boil of, of subdued rage almost. Um, and I, I, I talked, I was talking to a, a trans friend that had did some animations for me and kind of trying to figure out like how to explain that without also, you know, being like, we hurt too, you know what I'm saying? Like, like trying to do that. But yeah, there's, there's a, there's a thing there, you know, when you talk about your teacher, this compulsion of masculinity, mm -hmm. both from you and on you as black men that we don't have the words for. And we, our response to it in so many situations is just to do damage around us because it hurts. You know what I mean? And while, while, you know, to a white person, they could hear that and be like, oh, yeah, that's so, you know, you're right. Black men are dealing with that, that man box and da, 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 da. But as a black trans woman, as a other or other minorities, particularly black ones, mm -hmm. when we hear that, it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's very like, okay. And so in my mind, it's like, because, because of the heaviness due to um, like the, the weight of racial oppression against black men, particularly, um, I feel like they have a hard time seeing when those same kind of sentiments apply to us, especially regarding gender or, or, um, or, um, and you know, like when we think about like Dave Chappelle, we'll get on him. But when we think about particularly like transness, because transness is about gender identity, I, I really don't understand because black men can exquisitely, like Dave Chappelle, exquisitely explain the boxes and the things, the nuances when it comes to navigating their manhood and, and being who they are when they want to be out the box, when they want to do something different and all these things that, that stop them from being this. But when we tell them like that's literally what we feel for somehow they can't connect that it's the same thing and they, they always say that's different or it's hard for them to give up that power. Yeah. It just yeah, they don't want to validate or censor though the exact same thing minus cis heteronormativity. Right. And I, I completely agree. And I, I I wish I had if I had a better answer or understanding for that, I I, I would I would have all the books because like I've seen it. Like going back, going into Dave Chappelle, I could not believe <laughs> the like blindness to some of my best friends are trans you know what i'm saying 
Like, that's what that was. It's like, how do you not see? That's the same thing. It's the same thing. But, you know, it's part of it. I mean, my best guess is, and this is why I lead with empathy. My best guess is the problem of empathy um, among cis hetero black men in that empathy is, it often feels so rare. And when we get it, it don't look the same as when other groups get it. And there's a bitterness attached to that, you know? And so, and then the empathy is also construed as weakness. So by, by putting, so perfect example, I talked to a, um, I'm doing a video on love and I'm trying to talk to a variety of different people. And I was talking to a, a, a gay couple earlier, gay, two gay, uh, cis gay men, black men. Um, and you know, they were talking about the harassment they get cause they're on social media. They're like YouTube and Instagram people and the harassment they get as, you know, cis presenting gay men and like the, the instinct to empathize with them, I have to bring it back up because the fear is if I am too empathetic out in the open, then I'm going to get it, which I have, you know what I'm saying? And I haven't gotten nearly as much. I think other like actual gay or queer or trans people in the public eye, I haven't gotten nearly as much as they've gotten. But the fact that I as a straight man with kids with all the check boxes that I'm supposed to have when I did the um, the Tariq Nasheed movie video, I had dudes in my email stalking me you know, harassing me about Tariq Nasheed and shit. Um, and like, that is, I think that's part of it. There's a, there's a lack of wanting to give up the little privilege that we feel of not fearing. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I have all these, I got, I, I fear all these things, same things you fear. I fear things that you, do, you fear things I don't fear. And, and so my privilege allows me to, to avoid those things. Mm -hmm. And I think some men like intrinsically, subliminally know that. And I, that's my best guess is that maybe there's this desire to not be ostracized. I remember being in high school and watching, uh, having a friend of mine say something really homophobic and not being okay with it internally, but outwardly laughing because if I'd have said something, I might've been next. And, and then, but we expect white people to give that on up so easily when it comes to our shit. And yeah. then, and then also, it's weird to hear that that kind of caution to stand up to bullshit because, as a black trans woman who who has been on every front line when it comes to when a black cishet man dies, I am I, I am more vulnerable in Ferguson in in, in Houston when um George Floyd died. I remember being in the crowds, being called a man, being called what we're literally marching for black lives. And if right. you clock that I'm trans, my, my homegirl had signs that saying that trans lives matter too, all black lives matter, da 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 da, all these things. Literally, motherfuckers, we literally are marching for you, motherfuckers who are being killed, and you can't even give us the grace in this moment. Right. You can't even give us the grace in this moment. Yeah, if we on the street at the mall, I don't think it's cool then. But at least in this moment where we this supposed to be a unity thing, where we are literally taking time out of our day to come and let these motherfuckers know that it is not OK for you to kill black men in the street. 
And we, I know for a fact that police will sexually assault me. If I get arrested, they will sexually assault me. They will do so many things to me, but I'm still willing to get out here mm -hmm. and march for you motherfuckers. So it's hard for me to, when men say, oh, I just, uh, I'm scared. I want to give that up. It, right. It's like, nigga, so we, we go through so much for y'all motherfuckers. You should be able to do it too. It, yeah. And that's, that's the really like, that's the thing that really brings me down, like brings me down when I have to like engage with that reality. I have a homie, uh, Anansi is non-binary. I'm not sure of their uh, gender identity. Are you familiar with Anansi's library? No, um, but I see, I actually seen their um, their commentary in your book. Is it book breaking video? It was, no, it was, it was the Chappelle video. Anansi was okay, in the Chappelle yeah, video. That. And, and had the same thing to say about like, if you if you are on the front lines, you see y'all, y'all are there. I can't imagine what I can't imagine what would bring these folks in that moment in particular to be harmful and destructive and toxic. To to to, to like I I just don't get it. Um, I, I was on Reddit a lot because I was trying to like figure out how to do this YouTube thing. And I joined all these black male or like groups on Reddit and like, like one out of only one out of four was not awful <laughs> to, be, to be real. Um, because like, you know, and dudes complain and I get it. Like I I've seen the divestment videos, um, and, and the niggas ain't shit videos. And I don't like how they talk about us. And I do see a lack of empathy, but I also recognize, and I've had to learn this from talking to black women in my own life, that like, look, the, the way we make y'all feel, I get why y'all talk about us like that, is, is the bottom line. I wish that wasn't the case, but like, I've seen the reality of it. It's not just Twitter arguments. It's not just mean memes. I've talk to homeboys after some nigga killed their cousin. I've I've seen my uncles chase a nigga down the street for smacking up my my one of my uh my cousins. I've helped rescue girls out of sex trafficking. It's like I get a lot of dudes that be trying to pull out data and statistics about how black men suffer. Valid shit. Valid shit about how black men suffer. I get it. It's not the same. And you can't invalidate the realities of black women, black queer people, black trans people that suffer directly from us, that fear us, right? It's not even just like, like I don't let my wife get gassed by herself because I, I fear what a nigga might do. And it'd be the same niggas that do shit like that, that will get mad when a woman who's been victimized, when a trans woman's been victimized, when somebody who's been victimized by a black man put up some, puts up a niggas ain't shit post and we want to get all indignant. Like, you see how they talk about us? It's white supremacy. It's like, no, nigga. They're, we're, we're, we're killing them. We're killing them. They're going to talk about us like a dog until we stop. You focused on the wrong thing. Talk to these niggas. Talk to your son. But, be, but in saying that, when this gets back to the streets, when it gets back to, you know, certain uh, pro-black man communities, they're going to call me a, a, a feminist 
intersectional nigga or some shit. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a hate black man. I'm gonna be a mis- I'm gonna be a misandrist. And it's like, no, you don't have to. I love black men. I've exposed myself to all kinds of uncomfortable situations on behalf of black men because ain't enough niggas in public talking this shit. Niggas hate a lot of niggas hate me because of that. And it's like I I it feels bad because I wish that wasn't the case. I wish my audience was all black men. But you know, but it's working. There's, there's there's dudes in the in the crowd. There's a lot of dude. There's other cis hat black men in the crowd. I am not unique among my peers, but it but it does suck. It sucks when I realize the breadth of the problem and how other dudes don't want to have no accountability to that part of the problem. So let's switch it up. We share something in common. <laughs> um, we don't like Lee Daniels' work. <laughs> we don't think it's bad, um, but we're just kind of not interested. <laughs> it's just something about what he creates that just does not resonate with me. And I think it is because he is a respectable Negro gay to me. <laughs> and so some of his stuff just doesn't land. A lot, lot but, of that Oprah. <laughs> lot of that, I, I, a lot of that he who shall not be named. Yeah. Um, you know, pound cake speech, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. A L- lot of that in there. Yeah. So, uh, but you talk about this thing, um, this concept about the gay agenda. <laughs> this is one of those moments where it's the so clearest day where... Look, when culture starts to shift in a certain way, you are going to start seeing more queer things, period. Because culture is not great, but culture is shifting in a more progressive way. That's why in 2015, in this high school that you were in, they were talking about pronouns. They were talking about things. We have, our group has done work to shift the culture in a more positive way. As Black people, when we were back in the 50s, 60s, we were shifting the culture in a specific type of way. That's why we were seeing Sidney Poitier, a dark-skinned man, winning, winning an award. We were right. seeing, well, we didn't see a lot of dark-skinned women winning an award, but we saw Still the black- <laughs> you did You did a great video about colorism in the Black male community I thought was interesting, too. Thank but, you. Um, but in we start we start to see a shift we start to see things like roots everything is not going to be perfect but we start to see things cultural things cultural markers that we have never seen before and i bet you there were some white people who didn't want this change to happen that is that was saying oh my god this negro agenda these niggas <laughs> is popping up everywhere we we seeing them all on the TV. Oh goddamn, it's a fucking president. <laughs> See, this is this is what happens when we let the niggas get on TV. <laughs> we see that this is I bet it's some white people that does that. Yeah. How are you not seeing that you are doing the same thing about the gay stuff when you start seeing our stuff be put our stories, our narratives, our stuff happening when we're not sitting in the corner quietly, like right. you would want us to be. When they start making stories about us, 
how how are you not seeing that that is the same exact thing i mean it, i think it comes down to hegemony 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 whatever how are you supposed to pronounce that word <laughs> i'm gonna butcher the background of it with marx and gramsci and whomever white old white dude but what it comes down to is people require a cons a conceptual framework of order and even if that order doesn't make sense if it makes me feel good i'm a rock with it which is uh, uh, going back to the white people in antebellum you know antebellum time period there were a lot of slaves with a better there are there are black slaves not a small amount with a better quality of life than the average free white person in the south because I, because as is typical, the capitalist enterprises, uh, unchecked, the unchecked capitalism of slave ownership created a free labor market, which meant if you were a white person that didn't own land, there wasn't you. You didn't have shit to offer. You know, but what I'm if you were a black person who'd been working the blacksmith in all your fucking life, you have a skill now that right. is lucrative. <laughs> right, right. And they're going to exploit you and whatever else. So as, as so as so, but during slavery and right after slavery, you had this whole black, um, you had black folks very quickly making moves and only being halted by white people because and here here's where it is. And I gotta at least be better than the niggas. And so that and that's what it comes down to to an extent is that as you know, there's a lot of black men who can only conceptualize a world where we are centered at least in our world in our world in our circles we are the center we're the patriarchs we're the heroes we're the the people that go up on the murals we're the figures in black history month it's us even if it ain't me raggedy ass you know what I'm saying even if it ain't me average ass nigga that's just that's on reddit you know what i'm saying on twitter talking that shit. it may in not my be mama's me. house ashy right. ass ain't unwashed shitty right. ass stains e in their drawers even if it ain't me it's it's my kind it's, it's cis hetero black men and so i think when it became apparent that uh black queer people were starting to have a voice and and to be and to be fair within a lot of these spaces black men have felt marginalized so there's also a jealousy because we can only get one through the door at a time we can only get a spike lee that leads to a john singleton that leads to a i don't know ryan coogler you know what i'm saying like so you only get one through the door at a time um every everybody else's movement feels like an alert an alarm you know what I'm saying? Oh, somebody like got what? How? How did Lena Wade get a get a writing position? You know what I'm saying? How did uh who we talking about? Lee Daniels got three movies in in five years. It's an agenda. <laughs> Forgetting <laughs> you know that we had a Spike Lee and a, a John Singleton and <laughs> you know five Blade movies. You know what I'm saying? Like and so and and when you're not self-critical and you and when you're not in a constant state of decolonization of your mentality um you know part of it's the black church it's also you know the 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 peripheral religious entities it's the nature of our society in general is patriarchal uh -huh. and 
you know, white supremacy loves to hold up examples from these oppressed communities as, you know, you can do it too, right? So we feel unfree. And so every encroachment from these other entities that is not exactly like us or within our hegemonic framework feels like a transgression. And the in the dumbest of us, or not, let me not let me be empathetic, empathetic. The those of us most susceptible to um magical thinking to explain our pain run with that agenda because it gives us back some power right it stops being about how white supremacy has emasculated me as a man it starts being your fault as a queer person that that i'm in this position that you have aligned with white supremacy against me and thus my accountability to the situation is lessened and i have another person to blame and i can make sense of it now now it makes sense and that is very akin to the motherfuckers that was on the Capitol uh, a year ago that, you know, you know, want to blame everything except for the people they voted for Facts. for their problems. That's how hegemony, that's how hegemony works. It gives us a dominant framework. And no matter what the evidence and the reality is, we will find a way to twist it to fit that framework. And that framework in the black community is patriarchy. And there is a market. When we think about the Tariq Nasheeds, when we think about the Umar Johnsons, when we think about, even you point this out, which I thought was brilliant too, because it was something that only people in our age bracket would be able to kind of reference. You point this out when you talked about Dave Chappelle um, and the Andrew Dice Clay critique from George Carlin. Mm -hmm. And and in it, George Carlin, right? That's who yeah, it was George Carlin. Yeah, George Carlin. So how and and how George Carlin was critiquing his type of um his type of comedy because there was a market for him at the time. Of course, Andrew Dice Clay couldn't work now, but back right. in that back in that day, that anti woman, anti gay kind of uber masculine persona that he put on, which was a persona that he put on, that worked for him at the time. Because there was a un, there was an undercurrent of angst with young white men about the about you know the Ellens of the world about the women you know th this shift in Women's culture that was put Hillary into, Clinton even <laughs> Hillary Clinton exactly the, these kind of shift in how we were thinking about women how we were thinking about gays and so there was a market literally a market that said andrew dice clay i can create this and there's going to be a market of people who like it and yeah. you made that that kind of that kind of comparison to what dave Chappelle is doing now when it comes to his when it comes to his strategy and marketing with, with his stuff because he also know that there is a because of the cultural shift that is happening with trans people the cultural shift that is happening with um you know, just around race and around all these kind of things, he knows that there is a market for these type of things. So he doesn't even need to be educated about it. He can just talk about it and it's going to be a market where people's like, uh-huh, you saying, you saying what we all want to say. Uh-huh, uh-huh, as, as dumb as it might be. And so can you talk about that a little bit? Let me show some love to to the brothers for a second. We also have to point out that this is a, this is a, a non-binary problem within the black community. Yes. That the 
I've had just as many that Chappelle video. In fact, if I'm real, I've had more pushback from black women who follow me from other videos than from black men who kind of just checked out. Or maybe they they're, maybe they're just not around them. I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's because men want to feel and be a certain way. And everybody else wants that, too. We just don't talk about how, like, we all are helping to reproduce patriarchy. And so when that fails, because it will, because it's white supremacist patriarchy, we will never measure up to that. Then we have to look for a scapegoat. We have to look for a way to assuage that. And we have to find a way to reclaim power. Tariq Nasheed's grift is, is so crazy because he literally has been doing the same thing to black men his whole career. He just changed the flavor. When the right. pimp shit went out of style, then he became a hotel. But he's still doing the same thing. He's making insecure, disaffected, angry black men feel better by giving them someone to be to, to punch down on. Kevin Samuels went from a nobody to a million subscribers on YouTube by telling women the truth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and what that is, is uh, so my, a lot of my research was on uh, school shooters, believe it or not, um, my, my master's thesis. Um, and it's all connected to masculinity. And what you would find when you started, what I found when I started studying these school shooters is that almost like, like 60, 70% of these events started with rejection from a woman, started with a space of insecurity. And they speak to, and when you read their diaries, they speak to this shooting event as a way to reclaim power as men. Now, those are extreme outliers. But the intrinsic uh, ideology is similar. It's so common when we think I will find Cleaver. a way to reclaim my power. And white supremacy is a little too big of a bully to punch. So yeah. I'm hit one of y'all motherfuckers. And I'm and I'm going to show out when I do it, too. And y'all going to recognize me. And I might make a little money. Maybe I'll get some followers. I'll get some retweets. You know, when I talk about these black man studies group folks, like half their tweets are about black women. We we talk about white supremacy. Half the tweets is about black women. It's like, what y'all doing? Why y'all why y'all punching why y'all punching sideways at best? You know what I'm saying? But but yeah, that's what it comes down to. And when we think when this is we have seen evidence of this when we think about Eldridge Cleaver and when he was writing in that book saying that I literally started um my raping of black women to practice so i can get to raping white women and because it was literally because this is my way to get some type of power that the white man is not giving me as toxic that's an extremely toxic you know way to think of it but it not only does it let you know how how acceptable this type of behavior was in the time that he wrote this book just the fact that he would put it in a book that is going to right. be published right. um just the fact that he would put it in this kind of situation but it also lets you it, it gives you a glimpse into while this may be an extreme and not saying that everybody's going to take it to the level but it can be done in subtle more which is more insidious ways like you were like you were talking about earlier sometimes that same type of dynamic within somebody's um insecurity and you know, within somebody's self 
it actually can come out in different ways. You may not be right raping people. You may not be school shooting, but you you may be bullying because of it. You may yeah. be the teacher who's talking shit to the to the queer students because of it. Yeah, that's how we got to we got to engage with regardless of your gender identity, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Black folks of numerous shades and phenotypes and eye colors and all of that have to engage with how much white supremacy has hurt us and how so much of our manifestation of behavior is rooted in that hurt. And, 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 the, and the worst of our actions is almost always tied to not to transferring that pain somewhere else. And because we live around each other and because there's power dynamics around gender, you can't deny that that looks a certain way. And you know, the, the, when, when, I, when I see the things that black men have tried to show me, to show me how bad the feminists are, the black feminists are, um, it's like, this is coming from like, if, even if I fully agreed with you, which I don't, in perspective, but I get where you're coming from. Can we stop trying to aim this sideways? Because we know if we stop and internalize that we are being hurt by the same paradigms and we hold the, we, we at a minimum black man that got the biggest guns in the equation. So if, if y'all niggas want to go to war and y'all only want to shoot people up, you said you, you talk about Martian, like that's what that is. I think everybody feels a way when they see these these you know videos. For me, the the one that that chokes me up every time I think about it is Philando Castile, because that that man was in front of his kid, oh. in front of his woman. You know what I'm saying? And was chill, and just the fear of that black male body created panic, and then he's died. He's dead. So here are these, these, I'm going to just say poorly actualized, these still very much hurt and outwardly angry black men at this march that have probably just seen, they've seen this video, they've seen so many videos, they know how it feels, and there is a there is a existential there's a cosmic fear of mortality. I think about death so much. So much about being a black man is a constant negotiation with death. And within that hurt space, here go you transgressing. So I'm gonna get you. My rocks ain't gonna reach these niggas across the street. My rocks ain't gonna penetrate that that those shields. But I can hurt you, and you can feel what I feel. And I can feel something from that. And that's the only thing that can make any type of sense to me as to why under those circumstances where y'all are all standing together, a person would turn around and try to harm you because I have, this is too much for me. Mm -hmm. I have to give this off somewhere. I'm scared of these people because they will kill me. Yeah. I'm scared of these people because I've seen them kill me and get away with it. So you close to me. And you can't do nothing to me. So I'm going to get you. And that's Elders Cleaver. That's Elders Cleaver to a, to a T. And Elders Cleaver's, like, some of his chapters on sexuality are so profound and deep. But damn, when I had to, like, record, and I haven't heard about Elders. What's, what's funny about how we reproduce patriarchy among black men is I've been hearing about Elders Cleaver since I was a little boy. 
man, when you get older, you can read solo nights. You can read solo nights. When I read it as an adult, I was like, wait, this dude was a rapist? <laughs> Nobody told me. <laughs> and y'all thought this was cool? <laughs> they left right. They left that shit out. That shit wasn't important. <laughs> um, I was in a, a thing. This dude was talking about Neely Fuller. And I had never really heard of Neely Fuller. And I was like, oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. I'll Google Neely Fuller. This nigga said, what about homosexuality? In 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 recently, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I, so I, 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 I laugh to keep from crying. And we're talking about these people in the past and that, but even if these, these, um, the, that stuff is leading to you know, domestic violence and intimate partner homicide today. People try to act like trans women are being murdered because they are deceiving, because, you know, blah, 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 blah. But our, our numbers align with cisgender women when it comes to who is killing us, our intimate partners. And we are the least likely to date outside of our race. So it's y'all niggas. It's not just, it's, you get what I'm saying? That's just yeah. what it is. And so because of that, the, 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 the what you're describing, this is leading to the harm. And so, yes, while I understand the theory and the concept of I cannot beat this big ass bully over here. My last question to you is while I understand that, I want to know strategies on how to how to and I know you I know it's you can't answer it, but at least try. Uh, what is the strategy to bridge that gap? How can I deal with you if I'm dealing with that kind of toxicity, if I'm dealing with that kind of trauma? And I, it's like me trying to help a, 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 a puppy that's been harmed and wore out and he keep fucking biting me or I got this motherfucker might attack me. How can I bridge that gap when I'm literally trying to be on your side i'm literally trying to be in community with you not even on no i want to love you and black love not even on that bullshit. i'm in your community because i love you as a black person how right. can i be in community with you if only thing i'm seeing is this harm if i'm keep getting stabbed if i'm keep getting i gotta dodge all of these things how can i bridge that gap what are some strategies going forward so I, it's, it's two things in general. Um, the first one is uh, you let us cook a little bit. I think I think, you know, and it's, it's uh, that's something that a lot of brothers don't like, especially the, the, the divestment movement, which is crazy in its own unique ways. No shade to anybody that might be in the community that's with it. I, I get where it comes from. The shit's still crazy. That said, I I get where it comes from. So like, like black men really are going to have to take responsibility for healing black men that, that, and, and so the best thing you can do is empower the men that you you see trying to heal us because the, the hurt that some of these brothers are, are coming out of is, is going to make it impossible for them to be um, capable of being in community with uh, non-black men. It's gonna make it, some of these dudes just can't. There's dudes in the border, you know, but some of these dudes just can't. And so it's really gonna be a matter of other black men, cause we don't listen to y'all. So other black men are going to have to be direct in engaging with these issues internally. That's one of the reasons why I started the channel. Cause I was like, I've been talking this shit, but like, I gotta, 
I got to put something out there. I know I'm not alone because, you know, at this point, we're talking about uh, generational hurt. We're talking about things that are bigger than just, you know, the newest Tariq Nasheed documentary. Um, we're talking about upbringing since I was a kid, you know, and so it's, it's that's not going to be unraveled and dismantled uh, quickly or by somebody who doesn't have a true um, empathy with what that feels like. And that brings to the second thing, talking about the kids, is one big thing for me is that we have to reframe, and this is, this is an everybody thing. We have to reframe how we are treating and raising our boys. I, I can't tell you like how often I see the way we gender and like you have to to raise a dog that's going to fight that starts as a puppy and like we we there is a there is a cake and eat it too thing in the community where we want to remove humanity from little black boys because we want them to grow up to be men but then when they get older and they can't function they they maybe it's just he won't open up emotionally if you if you know maybe it's just that or this nigga won't stop whipping my ass that all starts with boy stop crying that's where that starts to have your emotions weaponizing i still have hurt when i think about as a boy having my emo national human emotional frame uh wavelength weaponized against me because it was not appropriate gender performance and as and that's everybody because and and you can talk and this is one thing me and the black studies people have in common the molestation they with the they call it losing their virginity but the molestation of black boys in black communities by adult black women is an epidemic that has been understudied and not engaged with and i know so many black men whose first sexual experience was 13 14 years old with a with an auntie friend that was late 20s 30s you know and you look at people like the baby lil wayne nick cannon mike tyson you look at all these problematic men that we will drag in the media and you hear them talk about their first sexual experience and all of them have that same experience me fuck and them me. me too me too <laughs> and it's like and 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 that conversation like i haven't met two i've met some women that are like wanna well you know i haven't met too many women that really resist that but that then that means that we have to now we got to put that on the plate we got to put that in the oven to cook because yeah. that's where so much of this but i also think it's because we're too busy um dealing with our girls being molested yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's 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 a it's like an epidemic on both ends yeah and so you kind of pick and choose where you are yeah. um but but it, but it's also because it's hard to tell like most of the men i know that have come to that point now if i don't talk to them about that 10 years ago they're like yeah no i started getting pussy early but like as they at, when they have their own kids they have their own sons they start to think about holy shit, this is a baby i you know and so there's so we we it's it's the um collective investment in patriarchy we have to acknowledge that there is a collective investment in patriarchy patriarchy rewards me the most no lot of that but 
I don't get that reward from other men. You know what I'm saying? That's a socially constructed dividend that comes from um, economics, that comes from uh, medicine, that comes from other men, and that comes from women. The biggest reproducers of patriarchy in my experience were my aunties. That's who, that's who made me a man. You know what I'm saying? And I know a lot of black men that will speak to that experience, that they were more fearful of their masculine performance from the women in their lives than the men. And I and I know that's because those women are also required to reproduce patriarchy to fulfill their gender role. But we got to we have to recognize we're talking about a multi pronged front when it comes to protecting these boys, because then these boys. Hopefully, this is all fucking theoretical at this point will be easier to engage with dismantling their own shit as they get older. They won't have the same frameworks of dominance that they feel the need to feed into as they hit puberty and become a young man. And then we are talking about cycle break. And then one last thing is also a lot of this is economic. You know, uh, everybody that's poor around the world is killing, you know, fucking uh, poor women around the world get the worst. Poor queer people around the world get it the worst. Yeah. And so as black people, you know, there's collective economics elements to it that will not fix the cultural problems of it, but at least provide barriers of protection to the most vulnerable of us. Um, and that's, 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 that's as good as I can give. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining me. This was a great conversation. I knew that you would be able to handle it. And can you tell the people um, where they can find you? Yes, um, I am FD Signifier. I'm on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram as FD Signifier. You should be able to find me. Um, no period in between, but sometimes maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a video about love. Uh, I just dropped a video about Drake uh, yesterday. It was a fun one. Ooh, and then you dropped a video about um, um, the athletes, which because I'm not into sports, you would think that I'd be like, Ugh. but it was so good. I stayed and watched the whole thing because I was like, oh, I didn't know all of this shit was yeah. going on. It was really, really yeah, good. And, that, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. I feel like if black men, because the black men with their shit together are quiet as fuck. That's, that's part of the problem. <laughs> we letting all the craziest niggas talk because we we don't we be like this and it's like we kind of got to stop playing the background because shit is getting too real and i'm tired of getting treated like them niggas like i'm trying to get i'm tired of getting treated like a crazy nigga because you know <laughs> they control the narrative and like now i got to deal with that so it's like all right we got to fix that but i'm gonna put feeks information in the bottom all his links once again, thank you for being with me. And this was a great conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate being invited to uh, this this cookout. I recognize this is an invitation for a guest pass and not a permanent residence. I will. Y'all can let me know when y'all want me to come through again. And I will, you know, show love from wherever is most appropriate for me to sit. Uh, yeah, that's what's up. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. I appreciate just being around my folks. <laughs> love, it. love it. Love it. Love it. Make sure you join the conversation. Hashtag Marsha's plate. And we will see y'all next week. Have a wonderful day. Bye bye. Peace y'all. 
Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You gonna say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's gonna be all right.